Thanks. And if you have um, a Bible or an app or whatever, keep it open. We're going to be um, looking not at the whole chapter. We're basically looking over the whole chapter over these four weeks, but we'll be looking at verses 13 through 15 especially. This is a cool car. I'll keep this up here. <laughs> Otherwise, it would slip and be very hilarious, but I would die. Um, yeah, so th- uh, we've been talking about what does it mean for Jesus to be in our life? Like, what, what does that look like? Um, and actually, I have a question. So whoever, guessed, whoever guesses is closest, oh, you can get the car. So whoever, <laughs> this is a very great prize on offer. Um, how many words do you think we speak in a day? Any guess? Well, like, on average. I mean, I know Christina's average may be a little bit higher than mine. Um, have any guess? Okay, it's a little bit lower than that. I think it's just total words, total volume of words. So we have 12, what else? Five. Paul just Googled it probably. The, uh, <laughs> he's, he's looking at his phone, oh, it's five. No, the, um, and somewhere between the two, what? Ah, it's seven. But that's Paul wins because Paul is the closest. So um, if he didn't speak up, sorry. Paul, you can get this car. Oh, you have to give it back to Rachel at the end. It's just like... The, uh, the honor of, it's like, you know, the trophy has to go to the next person next year. The, um, yeah, so 7,000 words a day. If that's true, if it is true, and we all know people speak less and more than that, then that's two and a half million words a year. And I think over our lifetime, that's about 200 billion words. Now, when I hear a number like 200 billion, I don't even know what that means. I just see large number. What does that mean? If, uh, this is a weird uh, illustration. If a word was a meter long, uh, over our lifetime, we would have enough length to go to the sun and back, and then a little bit more. That's a lot. Now, it's like, that's a strange thing to talk about. Yeah, that's a, that's a strange kind of analogy. But it's just, what I want us to get is like the, the, the sheer scope and volume of all the words that we speak. We have a lot of them. We have a lot. And we are saying things all the time, commending things all the time, moaning about things all the time, the please, the thank yous, the I'm hungrys, the hellos, the see yous, all the time. We have a lot of words, and words, of course, words are powerful. The words are very powerful. And a lot of power exists in that little muscle that we call the tongue. Now, maybe it's just me. I'm sure it's just me. But I had this really small thought. It's probably a unique thought that uh, I don't think we use our words in the best way all the time. Have you ever had that thought? Maybe you guys have never thought about that. I was like, you know, I don't know if we use our words in the best way all the time. I think, that, you know, maybe that's true. And of course we know that's true because we can easily think of times where we've said something that we shouldn't have. Or uh, that in, um, where we should have said something but didn't. We have this kind of insane amount of powerful stuff called words. All of us do. And we don't nearly use it for good as much as we should. Now, for those of us who are Christians, we all know that we don't speak about Jesus probably as much as we ought to. We don't bring Jesus into conversations probably as much as we ought to. Uh, Jesus is, is with us if, if we're a believer, and, and so that means keeping him out of the conversation is a bit kind of effectively like putting him on mute. I mean, how many times in the last month did you have a significant spiritual conversation with someone who's not a believer? Now, anytime someone talks about evangelism, I feel like it's evangelism and giving. It's automatically like guilt mode. Everyone's like, I don't do enough, I don't give enough. And yeah, that's true, but this isn't meant to guilt anybody. It's more meant to... Um, talk about where we are first to begin with. And where we are first to begin with is all of us have problems with our words, especially Christians, most especially Christians. We all have problems with our words. 
So we live in a world that is yearning for life, that's seeking after it, that's really killing themselves to get there and never reaching it. There's a lot of death among the living. What we all need, wherever you are with Jesus, what we all need are people who speak words of life into a world of death. That's what we really need. And that's exactly what Jesus enables us to do. That's exactly what these verses are kind of about. Uh, that's one of the reasons that he resurrected was for us to speak these words of life into a world of death. So if you have questions about using your words, and if you have questions about maybe I can use my words in a better way, um, think of what they might be now. And you have this little thing, redeemermcr.com slash ask. Wait, there's some question that you guys already sent in. We're going to talk about it after the sermon. Whatever questions you might have about talking to people about Jesus or about spiritual things, send them in there. It's anonymous, so don't worry. It won't be like, ooh, I can't believe Christina thought that. Um, it, it has no, like, I have no idea where it comes from. Uh, and then we'll, we'll get to those questions at the end of the sermon, because I bet other people have the same kind of questions and thoughts and things. Now, this is the third message in this ongoing series that we're calling Church Near Me. The reason why we're calling it that, it's the most Googled phrase when someone looks for a church. So let's say people find a church. They even Google it, whatever brings them to do that. Maybe they even find ours. What kind of church do we want them to find? And the answer has to be in here. It can't just be in here. And what we hope is that we find a church where Jesus is in our words. We find a church where people are speaking words of life into a world of death. And the focus of our words in these verses, um, the context, it, I, I'm going to say, we're, we're going to say speak, but that's like a short-term phrase for speaking about the gospel, speaking about Jesus. It's not just speaking kind of in general. Probably all of us are kind of okay with that. Um, but it's about what are we speaking about. Uh, it's going to be about being a Christian and therefore being part of the Christian community. It's a very kind of specific form of speech. Another word for that's evangelism. So we could use that as a, as a trade-off as well. It's basically telling people about Jesus. So let's, let's get into this. Uh, the very first thing that we see, the very first thing that Paul teaches us, the Paul, the author of 2 Corinthians here, he teaches us that we speak because we believe. This is what verse 13 is all about. We speak because we believe. And the first thing that Paul does is he starts with a quote from Psalm 116. So you might even see it like quoted in your Bible. It is written that's a way for Paul to say in the, in the Old Testament, these words are written in there. I believe, therefore I have spoken. The context of Psalm 116 is the, the author, the psalmist, is in this really difficult position. He's, uh, we're not told exactly what that position is in the past, but he came through what was a really difficult position. Maybe it was like his life was in danger. Maybe it was like uh, a, an emotional despair. Whatever it is, it's a really dire situation that God brought him through. And Psalm 116 is talking about how God brought him through it. So Paul is saying this guy is telling a story of how, how God kind of rescued him in a moment of need. And that's an element of that person in the, in, the, uh, in the Psalms, in the Old Testament, believing, therefore having spoken. And that psalmist in the Old Testament trusted in God and God delivered him. And after the situation, he talks about it. And as he talks about it, he doesn't talk about himself being amazing or being awesome or being clever enough to figure it out. He uses words that points people to salvation, to point people to God. And I hope this is, I mean, for me, this is an encouragement. I hope it's an encouragement for us. The faith that people had in more difficult times is the same faith that we have. You read any of these kind of crazy stories in the Old Testament, sometimes you're like, what in the world is going on there? How in the world would I be able to follow God through all that? That same faith that allowed people to follow God through those really difficult situations is the same exact faith that we have. And there ought to be a comfort knowing that people have gone before us. We're not the first ones. And I think it's difficult to remember that very easily. We think, I mean, there's not, it's not like Trollton is overcome by churches. It's not like Manchester is overcome by churches. It's not like you have 
an insane amount of Christian friends in your life. There's a huge amount of encouragement. It can feel lonely. It can feel like you're going alone, but we aren't. We're not the first ones, and we won't be the last ones. We have our present faith community. We have Redeemer, but we're also, as we join the church, as we become believers, we're plunged into that historical river of people who have had faith over the years, over the ages. We're not alone, and we never have been. God has always been with us, and his people have been with us. So since we have that same spirit as the person in the Old Testament that was writing, the same faith, the same belief, we speak. And remember, this is not speaking about whatever, especially in the verses of Psalm 116, which you can look at some other time. We're not going to go there today. It's speaking about God, how he saved us, how he saved us to a community, how he saved us out of our loneliness and rescued us out of our need and delivered us into what we needed. Now, notice the reason why we speak. If you just look at verse 13, um, we speak because we have that same belief. We believe and therefore speak. It doesn't say we're clever and therefore speak. It doesn't say we're well-resourced and therefore speak. It doesn't say we're uh, confident and therefore speak or we're passionate and therefore we speak. That's, those are not requirements. I mean, those are nice to have if you have them, but those are not requirements. It's just it's maybe a cherry on top. A requirement to be able to speak about Jesus is belief. We speak because we believe. Now, I want to do a, just a really short time of grammar nerd time on a phrase. So grammar nerd time on verse 13 where it says, we also believe and therefore speak. Um, if you were to translate this in a very, I don't do this grammar nerd time very often, so it won't, it won't last very long, I promise. Um, if you were to translate it uh, like, like a one-to-one kind of translation, it would basically say, also, we are believing, therefore speaking. Those are the, uh, that's like the word order and also the tense. It's a present active verbs. And that comes with it. The reason why I bring it up is not to be like, well, I know how to translate something. Um, because, uh, I mean, what else? I have to cling to something here. Um, is, is to get that, I feel like, gets to the immediacy of what that verse is about. It's not like we believe and therefore happen to speak. No, we are believing and therefore we are speaking. It's an ongoing thing. If you're in a state of belief, if Jesus has saved you into a belief, that means he's saved you into a state of speaking about him. Now, this doesn't mean you become the weird person where the only, every other word is Jesus out of your mouth and you're, you know, trying to find weird ways to, like, wedge Jesus into conversations that, you know, are just weird and inauthentic. That's not what it means. It just means when those opportunities come up, and they will, we talk about Jesus. We speak because we believe. I think also we can say, if we believe, therefore we speak. Like one must flow from the other. Uh, one commentator that I read said, uh, for Paul, who's the author here, the gospel, this story of Jesus saving people from death, is not some abstract theory that can be accepted and hidden away in the heart. It requires proclamation, and proclaiming it to a hostile world is perilous. I need to tell you that. You know that. Paul doesn't shrink from speaking this gospel boldly to unbelievers and to any other believers, whatever the consequences, because this is his calling in Christ. And so it is for us, for anyone who has faith. This is part of our life. We speak because we believe. Now, like what, what do you speak about? Many things, I'm sure. When you find something cool, when you see a cool film, when you listen to a great album or whatever the things. What are you passionate about? Where does your heart light up? How will you pass on the most important thing in the universe? It's impossible without words. You can be a very nice person, but if you never speak, people will just think you're a very nice person and actually will work against you because they'll say Christians are just nice people. And that's just not true. That is not true. I mean, hopefully we're nice, um, but it's more than that. 
Our words are a test of our faith, is kind of what Paul's saying here. You know, some say talk is cheap. I think belief without talk is even cheaper. You can say you believe a lot of things, but if you don't actually speak the words, then like, what does it even mean? So we speak because we believe. Also, the next verse gives us another reason why we speak. We speak because of the resurrection. Uh, now this, well, I'll just read verse 14 here. Um, we also believe and therefore speak, and here's verse 14, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. So what Paul's talking about there is the resurrection. Why is that a reason to speak? I, at first, I was like, when I was reading this, I was like, oh, yeah, the resurrection, that's cool, and then we'll talk about the resurrection. I was like, but wait, how is that a reason to speak? Like, where does that connect? I think one of the places it connects is if Jesus has been risen from the dead, that changes everything. That changes everything. If Jesus has actually been risen from the dead, if we believe that, like that actually happened, that changes everything, our lives and, and potentially other people's lives. That changes how we live how we make decisions, the relationships we have, how we spend money, how we spend our time, uh, and yes, how we speak. If Jesus, if Jesus has been raised from the dead, that changes how we speak. And this is, I think, where the truth of the resurrection ceases to become like an interesting theological idea or maybe like a test of, test of orthodox faith or something like that, and actually where the rubber meets the road. This is like what actually matters for us tomorrow at 5 p.m. or whatever. There, and with that, there's two truths of the resurrection that Paul brings up here. Uh, the first one is because of the resurrection, Jesus is present now. So you don't have to be Jesus because he get, that, that frees you to be you. You get to be a human. Yes, you don't have to be God. Thank God you don't have to be him. You don't, you don't have to be him. Uh, through the Holy Spirit, you have him. You can invite him into things, but you do not have to be Jesus. So all of the pressures and the, the weight that we put on ourselves if I'm not like this, then I can't really talk to someone about my faith. That's you basically trying to be Jesus. You don't have to be him. You can be like the broken version of yourself, which is really you. So don't try and take that role from Jesus. He's the savior. You're inviting Jesus into that conversation. You bring with you, wherever you go, all the power of the resurrection. The power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's a powerful thing. I don't know anything else more powerful than that. That is what is at work in you. You may not feel that to be true, and that's okay. You don't have to feel that to be true, but it is true. And you don't need to be Jesus, so let's also not block him in, in our conversations. If we don't use our words and bring him into the conversations, we're effectively putting him on mute. He's that weird, awkward person that's standing there that we're trying to like box out and not have him be a part of our conversation because he's too weird. But because of the resurrection, Christ is present now. Here's the second one. This is the first one. Here's the second one. Because of the resurrection, we will be presented. And this is where Paul says, uh, it will, will also, God will also raise us with Jesus and present us so all of Paul's ministry team, the church at Corinth, present all of us um, with you to himself. To, God's going to present uh, his people to himself. So for Christians, we have a hope of a resurrection into a new world. That's, that's our, our ultimate hope. It's beyond the idea of heaven. It's this new, world, new heavens and earth. God will raise us, and we will be presented before him. I mean, if you found out the queen was going to visit your home in a week's time, you might act a little bit differently. Maybe you tidy things up, or I don't know, maybe not. Maybe you're like, no, that's cool. I want the queen to see how I really live, how the north really is. Um, but you might tell somebody about it. You, I mean, if you're on social media and you don't do anything about it, you're doing social media wrong. That, that's the whole reason social media exists, is to let people know about awesome stuff that happens to you, right? That you, it would probably come out in conversation. 
I'm going to meet the queen. She's coming to mine. And some of you, oh, cool, we're going to stick it to her. Or, oh, cool, I love the queen. You know, whatever kind of side you are with that. But at the end of our lives, we are all going to be presented to God. So how, how are we preparing for that? Like, that, that is a reality. The queen may or may not come and visit you, but it is a reality. You will be presented to God. And this isn't a way of ton of to, uh, to undo a guilt that we have, but it is a way of, like, if we don't speak about him, that tells us kind of our relationship with him. God cares about other people knowing him, and he cares about that so much he has empowered you to do that. He's chosen you, who me, yes, everybody who just said, not me, yes, you, everybody, to do it. So let's not try and prevent or slow down the advance of God's love in this world. I want more people to know about him. I'm not I'm going to try and do it in a way that's not weird and awkward, and also weird, a way that can kind of maybe overcome my fear and shame and all this stuff. But let's not live with regret at the end of our lives as we are in front of God himself. He has chosen you to uniquely present his love to others. And if you don't, who's going to? Really? That's, that's, those two things of what Paul's trying to get at. One is a, a very encouraging thing, and one is a bit of a, um, if I'm honest, a bit of a fearful thing. But both of those things are true. And because Jesus is with us, the fearful thing doesn't have to just merely be fearful. We get to be encouraged, and he gets to empower us as we do it. So the resurrected Jesus, present with us, allows us to speak in ways beyond our ability. You know, there are times when I'm in conversation with other people. Um, and in fact, there was one at the Royal Oak last Sunday where someone was telling me how they, they said they used to be a Christian and they said they're not a Christian anymore. And then they told me these, I mean, the worst kind of stories you could think of children having to go through, what he went through in his life and how that became a reason why it felt like God, if he did exist, wasn't good. And you know, if you've ever been in conversations you're like, like that, you're like, how in the world am I going to, I mean, all these questions about Christianity, about Jesus, how in the world am I going to like, um, uh, in a way that is loving and caring and empathic, like enter into this person's story and tell them about this God with trying to answer the questions that he has and legitimate concerns about this world and its darkness and its brokenness. That's, I am not equipped to do that. And that's my job. I am not equipped to do that. Nobody is. By myself, I'm not, I can't offer anything. I hope that the Holy Spirit kind of worked through me for some things, and I hope maybe to get in conversations more with him about it. But, you know, being for a pastor, being a pastor for a bit, I've been in so many situations where I just don't know what to say. Sometimes that, that's bizarre. Like, God's in charge of the vibration earth energy, and that's really what the Holy Spirit is. Or, like, I mean, I wouldn't even know how to explain that conversation that I had. Um, but sometimes to the really, really difficult ones, like, you're the pastor, and the family just came home from the hospital where their baby suddenly died in a way that was not expected. Like, what in the world do you say then? Like, they, they probably write books on it, but no book is going to be helpful then. I mean, we get that terminal cancer diagnosis, and they're on the phone, and they just can't hold it together. Like, what do you say? Now, nobody knows exactly what to say in those conversations. In fact, that is a very normal way of being when you enter into someone's real life. You're not going to know what to say. Don't expect to know what to say. So if you're like, well, I won't know what to say, yeah, that's, you won't. Like, there's, that's the state of being. We're all in the same boat. Everybody, professionals and novices and amateurs, everything. And no, that's okay. What's not okay is to not say anything ever. And even in the everyday stuff of life, we are plunged into the unknown, and we all feel our inadequacy when it comes to it. But as inadequate humans... The present, resurrected Jesus allows us to speak words of life into a world of death. He does. 
It's not through that because we're great or because we have the things to say. It's because Jesus has chosen to work through us. So we have two reasons. Paul so far has given us these two reasons here that we speak about him. Uh, the first is because we believe if we have faith, that's what we do. It's kind of an overflow of our faith. And the second is because of the resurrection. If we believe the resurrection is real, then we end up speaking. Um, now in verse 15, we're told about what happens when we speak. And when we speak, it is nothing less than joining God's mission in this world. I'm going to read verse 15 here. All this, and this is all this being like, if you remember from the first week, it was like our ministry that we have, our words, our actions, but particularly here, we're talking about our words. All this is for your benefit. He's talking to the church, your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. So before this is helpful for anybody else out there, this is what's helpful for us. This is for our benefit. How is speaking to other people about us first? And also, is that kind of selfish? Like, what's the, what's the deal there? It's also how other people get to hear by God's grace. But when we speak these words of life into a world of death, we join God's mission. And part of that, first, is, is before we talk about other people, is good for God's people. It's good for us. And that, what means is, is not participating in this, means to miss out on what it means to be God's people, God's whole people. And really what I've seen in my life is that not practice, not participating in God's mission through our words, what it does is it makes for immature Christians. We kind of stay stuck. It doesn't move us out of our comfort zones. And that's, not, that's never a good thing. We're like spoiled rich kids who hoard, hoard riches to, our, to ourselves. So mission sometimes can be thought of as, like, as a separate part of being a Christian. Like that's second level Christian. Once you've leveled up on the original stage, then you can make, maybe do the mission thing or maybe you can give money thing. Or the, but mission is not some second-level Christianity thing. Mission is very basic. If you've heard the Gospels, those guys knew, knew nothing about what was going on, and yet Jesus like, entrusted himself for, to lead the, for them to lead the church. When he sent the 72 out who were completely inadequate and weak um, and who basically didn't even have places to stay or live, like, they didn't know nearly as much as what you know. You know way more than all the people in the Gospels or even in the New Testament, for that matter, know about God. We have the words, and also you can read. That's, that was very uncommon. So mission is a fundamental and necessary aspect for your discipleship, and it's not required for you to have some kind of theological degree in order to do it. Or to be like some super passionate, like rock star Christian either. Because let's face it, none of us are really rock star Christians. We're all kind of inadequate heathen Christians, as I was telling someone at the beer festival the other day. I'm a heathen Christian, basically. So, but before we go any more, I'm talking about mission. Let's define what that word is, because we use that word a lot here, and and rightfully so. I mean, it's on the big sign on the back. We're a gospel form family on mission. Mission is, and we've talked about mission even in the series, but what is it? Mission is speaking Jesus' words and inviting other people into his family. Two of those things. So one is words, one is actions. We talked about that the very first week. Words and actions is what our ministry is. And mission is both of those things. It can't be just words, and it can't be just actions. Both of them are, are, would fall flat and don't really work. And also, mission is not making people surrender to God's words, and it's not making people embrace God's family. That's not your job. You just invite them to do it. You just talk about it. That's God's job is to change hearts. Your job is not to change hearts. You're not Jesus. Also, maybe I say on the other side, mission isn't selling Christianity to anybody either. It's not trying to find, like, you know, the right way to wrap the package up so it seems acceptable, and then they get it, and then they're in, and like, ha-ha, now you got to do this, now you got to do this, and now you have to believe this. It's, it's not a way of, like, trying to make Christianity sellable, because it never has been. It's always been culturally offensive. It's also just not being nice. 
Mission surely is something more than being nice. But our work, our ministry, our mission is speaking Jesus' words and inviting others into his family. Especially this one, obviously, is about our words. And when we speak, we join God's mission in making everything sad become untrue. We get to speak words of life. We get to do that. When we just sang, like, um, in Crowning with Many Crowns, that Jesus' death is destroyed death. Wouldn't that be great if everybody knew about that? I, would, I want everybody in my street to know that Jesus' death killed death. That would be amazing. Now, how to do that, that's the difficult part, right? But I want, I want to find times to be able to speak about that to people who I care about. I mean, don't tell me you love someone if you have this and never talk to them about it. Because firstly, all this is for your benefit. It's for your benefit because it will make you lean on Jesus to give you a heart that will desire other people to know him. It will make you pray more often because you're inadequate and you don't have what it takes and also your heart is really far and you kind of want people to know, but also if you're honest, your life is easier if people don't change and things just stay the same. We need to pray. And also we need to pray for those opportunities. It will make you search the Bible more when situations or questions come up. It will make you rely more on the Holy Spirit in the moment to enable you to do what he wants. Joining God's mission is first for our benefit. That makes for mature Christians. But this is what we get to do. We get to play a role in people coming to life. That's what we get to do. And if you don't work for a church, one guy here works for a church, uh, a few other people who work for a ministry, if, you don't, like, if, if your primary income doesn't come from a ministry, that means some other job is paying you to bring people to life. That's what you get to do. I mean, you might have to do some doctoring. You might have to do some administrative stuff. You might have to do you know, all sorts of other things. But really... The highest, what your real job is for participating in people coming to life, to see how that changes families, how that changes friendships, how that changes work, how that changes neighborhoods. Every day, it's God's version of bring your kid to work day, and we get to be a part of making this world new. That is an amazing thing that we get to do. And we are his kids. He doesn't expect us to be adults. We're his kids. He's Jesus. I think it's incredible. It's what we get to do. I mean, Sam and Elspeth um, just got a new puppy. And if I had, I should have thought about it and put a photo on here. This is very cool. And she's very cute. Now, when you get a dog, your life changes a bit, maybe even more than marriage. Some might say, Christina might say, yeah, I got married and got a dog on the same day. Um, but uh, <laughs> I think they got it. The, um, but what if the Horans had a dog for like five years and never told anybody? That would be really weird. And all of a sudden you go to their house and you're like, huh, this do- are you dog sitting? Like, no, you- Crumble's ours. Oh, how long have you had Crumble? Uh, four years, five years. Like, you never ever talked about a dog. We, talk- we were talking about dogs the other day. Never even brought it up. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I just didn't want to- Maybe you're not a dog person. It's like, I am a dog person. Oh, I didn't know. Like, well, if you would have talked to me, maybe we would have found out I was a dog person. It's- if it's weird and ridiculous to not talk about a dog, which it is weird, how much more insane to not talk about this new life that you have in Jesus. And I get that we don't want to offend people, and we're afraid of, like, overselling Christianity, becoming, like, salespeople. But from everyone that I know in Redeemer, our problem is not talking enough. It's not like you're going to come across as this cheesy, sleazy, like, used car salesman or something like that. Um, It's really that we're too afraid to kind of go over that awkward phase. And it is awkward. It's difficult. And it needs courage. I mean, if you look out the window there, we can see a few people out there. We want more people not in here to be in here, right? We have how many, even just a small amount of chairs we put out for, let's say 10 chairs. How, imagine 10 more people. I mean, grand scheme of things, 10 people doesn't sound like a lot. That would like, that's like, you know, a third of our church, double, like, you know, that would be insane. 
How amazing would that be if those people were here? That would be, and that's really what we want, right? We want those people who we love to be here, and not just here, but in your life, in your missional community. What would it be like for those two or three people that you've been praying for, you've been laboring for a mission to join your missional community? And maybe they're not going to be here on Sundays for a while, and that's okay. What would that be like? That would be amazing. That would change your missional community. In fact, if your missional community isn't orientated that way, it needs to change, because that's the whole point of having them to begin with. People out there need you to speak to them about Jesus. They're just not going to come because you're nice. No one wants to hang out in a nice club. They want to hear about life. They're in a world of death. All of us are. How else are they going to hear? Now, churches that don't speak up about Jesus, they die, every single one of them. And that's, I think, a good thing because it shows that they're just immature and they're not really joining God's mission. Every single church that does not talk about Jesus will die. In fact, just recently, um, a couple months ago, there were some of these graphs that came out talking about the R number for churches. You remember R number of COVID? I don't want to put you guys on Twitches. Um, but it's basically like the reproduction number. If it's above one, then the thing grows. If it's below one, then the thing dies. And they use that kind of uh, methodology to plot out the deaths of denominations and churches. And like the Church of England and uh, you know, every church on the sun, Baptists, Unitarians, um, every mainline denomination, Methodist, and all of them were kind of like trending towards dying around around 2030 to 2050 because there's no reproduction unless it's like actual physical reproduction. People have babies and christen them. Other than that, those churches are going to die. And if Redeemer as a church doesn't talk, talk about Jesus, it should die. I'd be happy for it to die. That's one of the reasons that we're here. And when we don't talk, we put ourselves in a position over someone else because we make the decision for them. We give them the no by not talking about it. Ah, they're not, they're, they're not really interested. Well, how do you know? You have to ask them. They're a human person. They have dignity in themselves. Let's give them the option. If we assume that people don't want to hear about it and we don't talk about it, we will never know. And it'll be like that weird conversation about, oh, I never knew you were a dog person. Like, oh, I was a dog person. Oh, you never brought it up. See, I want to see more people not in here, in here. I know you do too. This is, this is not easy work. We're all here in this together. But that means... We need to make sure we continue to organize our Sundays around to make that happen. Not only that, but that's going to be a massive part. To talk about, to talk about, to be smart with the way we communicate. I want to see more people who aren't in my missional community in my missional community. Again, that's the whole point of having them to begin with. And so we have to make sure our MCs are continually aligning around that. And this is also why we have the Summer Mission Seed Fund. as a way to kind of make this as easy and sort of funnish as possible. Now look, we know the end of the story. In Revelation 21, in the very end of the Bible, there is this vision that John has, John who um, the apostle has, as he's writing this book of Revelation, and uh, is of Jesus. And he's there, see, it says in Revelation 21, 5, um, it says, he who is seated on the throne, this is Jesus, said, I am making all, I am making everything new. That's a present tense, I am making everything new. This is Jesus talking to John, who lived like 2,000 years ago, and Jesus still tells us that today. He is making everything new. And how in the world do you think he's doing that? It's through us, through his church. Jesus is making everything new through you. As ridiculous as that sounds, when you think about how inadequate you are, how inadequate we all are, how kind of inadequate this church is, that's what God is doing. That's what he's about. And that's what we get to be about when we speak his words. We get to join his mission. And we do this because the resurrected Jesus is with us. After Jesus died, he rose again, and then he ascended into heaven. And what he and the Father did after that was to send the Holy Spirit in a new way to his followers. They were people just like us. They had a lot less knowledge than we did, and a lot less uh, resources, a lot less money. 
they didn't have their lives sorted out. They weren't scholars of theology or philosophy, though. They were normal, average people, just like us. But normal, average people who have the Holy Spirit, that is a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing. It makes people live in risky ways, makes people live in bold ways. And as we give in more to his love, as we depend more on him and live more out of his power, all that we learn in these three verses can become a normal, everyday part of our lives. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it can become a normal part of your life. And that, let's use the many words that we'll say, the two billion, however many words over our life, for these amazingly huge purposes. Wouldn't it be great to use just like a percentage of that to see the dead people come to life? If you want to get caught up in something bigger than yourself, this is how to do it. The Holy Spirit is at work. Jesus is advancing his kingdom. The Father is gathering from himself a people. So let's join him in doing that. We speak because this is what we believe. We speak because he resurrected, and we speak to join God's mission. Let me pray, and we'll get to some uh, questions and answers as well. God, we thank you that you are more than enough for us. We thank you that not only are you more than enough for our inadequate selves, um, and you give us all we need through your death and life and resurrection, but Lord, uh, more than that, you ask us to join in with this kind of recreation program that you have in this world. Lord, I pray that we would see how uh, and understand maybe in a new way, maybe in just a little bit of a new way, how each one of our lives fits into that. It's going to be different for each one of us. But Lord, you have a calling for each one of us. You have a ministry for each one of us, our words and our actions. So Jesus, I pray that as we go about these normal, everyday, average lives that you've called us to live in, I pray we would see them see the supernatural at work in the ordinary and that and maybe even a vision of these people that we know and love and we want to see them come and know you a vision of 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 how we need to act how we need to live maybe a new level of surrendering to the holy spirit in prayer and asking him to work in us Lord, there are so many different ways you work these realities these truths out in our lives but lord we pray that you would do that and that we would be open to whatever those ways are we ask we would surrender more to you and when you do the work, uh, obviously, Lord, it's not about us. It's not about Redeemer as a church. Um, it's not even about a group of churches. It's about your kingdom in this world, in our place. And we ask for you to do your work. And please take us along with you, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Um, I, there were some, I just wanted to bring up, uh, have a little bit of time to talk about some questions and answers. Um, there was some that came up in the WhatsApp group. One was about keeping the gospel simple. Um, actually, I'll just go through some of them. So um, when we're talking, someone said uh, there's some difficulty in like keeping the gospel simple maybe, and maybe I get like kind of on these little like weird subculture or small like theological points. Um, where really, if you're, I think the question there is um, listening to other people and what they actually need. They probably don't care about your theological view of baptism. I guarantee you, actually, they don't really care about that. Um, they probably don't care about uh, your views of the of church polity and how like churches are kind of built and created. They probably don't even really care what kind of a church this is, like technically, a free church, all that kind of stuff. People ask me all the time, oh, what kind of church is that? I think it's just a question of like, I don't know what else to ask. I guess this is the next question I asked. What people really need is the very kind of simple, uh, low-level answers to the problems that they have. And if we don't know their problems, then we can't, can't give that. So I guess listening is part of it. But keeping it simple, keeping the main things the main things um, is the way to go about it, which is what um, I think it was Martin put that in the WhatsApp group. I think that's a good, that was a good point. I think Ruth might have put the question of um, 
Uh, why do people suffer? And all the kind of questions that you'll get when you say you believe in God. Someone's like, oh, I can never believe in God because of suffering in this world. Now, there are going to be loads of questions like that that you will not be equipped to answer. We could talk about actually how there are some very good answers to that, and that may be a sidetrack. But the, what, one thing that um, can't really be argued with is your own experience in knowing Jesus and how he's worked in your life. It could be, I don't understand why they're suffering in this world. Or maybe you do, and you could talk about that a bit. But regardless, whatever the question might be, like, that's a really good question. And I don't, to be honest, I don't even know why that's the case. But for me, this is why I'm a Christian. It's helped me here. It's helped me in my own suffering or whatever kind of question they might have. So if you bring it back to how it's actually your own narrative, um, that I've found that to be helpful. Um, here's a question that came through um, during the sermon. I'm just going to read it. We'll find out what the question is. When talking to my friends who don't know Jesus, they ask me about their sin. My response is often, if you don't know Jesus, that sin doesn't really matter. It's not something to worry too much about until you have a relationship with Jesus. Their response is generally, well, if I'm going to have to change, why would I want Jesus when I'll be happier without it? So how do I respond or change my first response? That's a good question. First of all, I think it's a good response about sin in general or any kind of moral belief that a Christian believes. I don't think anyone should really care about any moral Christian beliefs unless you follow Jesus. So we have a lot of weird, strange beliefs, the resurrection being the top weirdest belief anyone's ever believed ever, weirder than any other thing we could bring up. But um, so I'm, I often say that same thing of like, uh, you know, sexual ethics of like, oh, I don't want to sleep. Like, I like sleeping with my girlfriend. What's the problem with that? So that's not a problem. What the problem is with Jesus. And we can sort that out if you really want to do about that. But the thing that really matters is how you view Jesus. That's the thing that where you want to get it back to you. With, so if, uh, if you don't know Jesus, that sin doesn't really matter. I would say the sin, I wouldn't maybe necessarily say that. I'd be like, actually, your sins do matter, and you experience the consequences of them um, because no life is perfect. Uh, not that when you become a Christian, your life isn't completely ma- magically overnight made perfect, but knowing Jesus is a way to deal with that sin instead of having it on you, on your back all the time. There's a, man, there's a lot of things in there. I think also knowing the person who you're talking to with this specific kind of question, you'll know what the gospel is for that person, what, uh, what specific aspect of Jesus, uh, how they can help that person in their life there, and it's maybe good to bring it back there. So before it's really about speaking, it is about listening. Um, of course, there's fear of people's reactions. They're going to be ostracized, going to be awkward, it's going to be weird. Yeah, that's true. It might be. Um, I don't really know what else to say. It's, it's true. Uh, it's not often as much as we think. Not often as much as we think. In fact, um, there's this uh, new study that came out uh, some months ago, maybe six months ago, about uh, evangelism. And it basically said one in three people who, uh, if, if there's a Christian talking to a non-Christian, one in three of the non-Christians wanted to learn more about Jesus after initial conversation about Jesus. One in three is way more than I would expect. I mean, it's not great, is it, like 33%? But that's way, I would think, like, you know, one in 100 or something like that. But that means, I mean, statistically that means, which may not be experientially how that works out, out of three people that you talk to about Jesus, one of them might actually be interested in learning more. It doesn't mean they're going to convert that day or whatever, but they might want to actually learn more. And I've found that actually to be true more in my life. When I'm super scared about talking about something on the school run or something to somebody, like, oh, no, they're going to think I'm crazy again. I'm the crazy American, you know, pastor, weird dude. And they already think that anyway, I guess. But the, um, but the conversations about spiritual things continue, continue to come up. And may, um, I don't know if there's any other questions that have come through. But may I also say, I think, in, in speaking words of life into a world of death, what we get to do is break an unjust system. 
by not speaking, there's a level of compliance that leads to perpetuating this unjust system of people who are under the, the penalty of sin. I mean, it said in the beginning of chapter four that their eyes are blinded to this glory. They're blinded to this new life. So we shouldn't expect them to act any other way, but also we shouldn't expect any change unless we kind of grow into being playing a part in that. So when you speak these words, when we join God's mission, what we're doing is we're joining in the undoing of this kind of perpetually unjust system that's been around since Genesis, really. Um, right, well, so if you have any other questions, I'm more than happy to chat more about it. I am not an expert um, I, um, at all. Uh, and, you know, there's some people who have the gift of evangelism. I don't think I have that. Uh, but it doesn't matter if you do or not. We're all kind of called to it, to do it. But we did talk about um, Jesus making this world new, the Revelation 21.5 verse. And the bread and the cup are a symbol of how God is making this world new. The first thing, the initial act of how he broke into this world to make it new. Now, Jesus was killed, you could say, basically because of his words. So if you're worried about fear, that's all right. Jesus has been there. Um, he's been beyond what you'll experience. He was killed because of his words. And what he did through his death was take all of our sin with him. And all that sin is put to death. That stayed in the tomb. That didn't come out of the tomb. All that sin shut up in a tomb. The bread represents his body and the cup his blood, the cost of buying your new life that you have now. But the bread and the cup also symbolize something else, the promise of a future where we will feast in this new heavens and earth, where Jesus on the throne will say, I have made everything new, like past tense, because one day it will be past tense, a future where everything sad is becoming untrue, where we get to experience this new life in all its fullness without anything holding us back. And this is also what we celebrate when we take the bread and the cup. So it's about Jesus' death and also about his resurrection. It's because of this that the Lord's Supper is something that Christians do. One can't celebrate uh, Jesus' death and resurrection without actually believing it. So please only take this if you follow Jesus. Now, if you don't yet follow Jesus, the same invitation stands. You too can be a part of this. And this might be your first step in doing this today. This is 